Blog Talk Radio. March 14th, you're listening to Blog Talk Radio and the Mind Whisperer. I'm Michael Gordon. You and I jumped right in, took no time to reckon in. Well, today on the program, we have a really exciting topic, very juicy subject matter so to speak, and the title of today's show is Tantric, Erotic, Transcendent, Contacting Reality. So let's get right into the program today. If you are listening in for the first time, my name is Michael Gordon. This is the Mind Whisperer. We are actually a call-in show, so I invite you to call in at any time and uh, bring up any topic that you want to discuss that relates to spiritual psychology and daily life. What does that mean? That means looking at our psychological concerns in a transpersonal kind of way, which means beyond the constraints of Western psychology and, and uh, psychiatry, which is to look at disease, mental disease, and uh, psychopathology, and really to look at these concerns in terms of understanding our place in the universe, the meaning of our lives, and how to live more consciously um, and therapeutically, thus, um, and and really, you know, to evolve higher um, awareness in our relationships and in our work and every aspect of our lives. But that can include any topic whatsoever. Today, however, we are talking about uh, something very profound, and I will get into it in just a moment, just a technical thing. Um, if you are calling in live, you can, um, if you're on our website, you can dial in at any time. Uh, the number is 347 945 7891. And also, if you go to our splash page here on Blog Talk Radio, The Mind Whisperer, um, you'll see links to Facebook and Twitter. And I encourage you to go check out our Facebook page and uh, follow us on Twitter. Um, the more that uh, you put us out there, the more we can do with the program. Um, and we're always interested in your suggestions uh, for topics and for guests on the show. I uh, want to make this as interactive as possible. So, back to the topic at hand, and what do we mean by tantric, uh, erotic, and transcendent? Very, very um, loaded terms, and I'm going to break this down uh, very simply as as I can um, to understand where I'm coming from, and then apply it um, to the general picture here. So, tantra is, um, technically speaking, a description of rituals and and doctrine in Buddhist thought, which uh, goes back to um, the Hindu or, or Indian uh, medieval 5th century origins. And um, it's something that's, you know, quite 
diverse, and it also branches out into Tibetan Buddhism, which is more the approach that I'm bringing today. Is that is the Tibetan Mahayana or Vajra, actually the Vajrayana um, approach of uh, Tantra. And Tantra really is sort of describing the wholeness of the universe, the aspect of integrating ourselves with the monistic view of the universe, that is, that there is a, a reality and um, we can engage in every aspect of it phenomenologically and and spiritually speaking in terms of the energy of the universe and um, and what it can teach us. And so many of us will initially kind of relate to the idea of Tantra as being um, a sexual practice, the idea of kind of prolonging and... and um, intensifying the sexual union with a partner um, through presence, through heightened sensual awareness, etc. And that is true. I mean, Tantra, sexual practice through Tantra um, is a, a valid um, thing, but it's, it's really an expression of the Tantric path, which is to um, cultivate, you know, bodhicitta, which is Buddha mind, which is our Buddha nature and our higher awareness. It's really all about working towards our liberation and our enlightenment. But the the aspect of uh, tantric sex, which is really about the, the integration or the unification of the masculine and feminine within. And that's manifest in, in gods like Krishna or um, various other deities that are expressed in tantric Buddhism and Hinduism, Hindu deities, for example, um, and also in the Dakini energy in Tibetan Buddhism, that would you know the, the sort of the sexualized aspect of the energies of the universe, which are an expression of our own inner qualities. And so everything in that sense has a, can have a tantric aspect to it, or or I should say, every aspect of our experience can have a tantric quality to it. So what about erotic? What, so erotic, we, again, we tend to think of it as a very sexualized um, term. The erotic refers to sexual desire and our sexualization of every day, and also our, you know, the, our um, idealized uh, sexual uh, inclinations or desires. But again, um, er, the, the idea of erotic is is takes its origins in. Eros, which is a Greek word, which does mean romantic love. It does mean intimate or romantic love. However, Plato, uh, as you may know, um, elucidated upon Eros as not simply an intimate or a romantic or a sexual nature, but uh, that something that could be cultivated to a higher ideal. You know, we know the word, the, the term platonic love or platonic friendship. And what that means is it's not absent of sex. And when that's how we've come to use the term in the West, of, or it's been generally uh, adopted. A platonic friendship means a, a non-sexual friendship. But that's really simplifying the matter. And what Eros is really, you know, um, invoked in, in, with Plato is to convey the idea of a, of a higher realization of friendship, which includes affection, which includes connection, intimacy, presence, vulnerability, and also the eroticiz eroticization of 
of ideas, of higher ideals. You know, the idea of philosophy, which is the love of wisdom and the quest for wisdom, the desire for truth. So again, these are these are all elements that are um, pervasive through uh, at least Tibetan Buddhism, if not Hinduism and Indian Buddhism as well. So the idea of transcendence is to really lose our constricted ego selves, to um, transcend our immediate sense gratification and sensual pleasures. Um, you know, and this is in looking at uh, Freud, for example, and the pleasure principle. It's to, it's to evolve beyond our simple gratification. And what Freud would look at as, you know, infant needs um, or our base sexual desires to a more of a transcendent realization of ourselves in connection with the universe or with the divine, what they call Godhead. So, um, putting that into context, I want to bring it down to a very, very practical and simple level. And I was having a conversation with a friend this morning um, about dynamics and relationships. It could be an established relationship with your partner or your spouse. It could be a potential relationship. It could be a friendship. And, you know, a common theme here on this program is about working with uh, fear, aggression, and trying to find ways to come back to vulnerability and see vulnerability as uh, a strength, as a way of connecting, as a way of bringing us towards our natural interconnectedness. And this is certainly a theme, this interdependence, interconnectedness, this web of life, this matrix of of life that uh, that Eros refers to, and certainly the Tantra is referring to. You may, you know, know of the um, the murals in Tibet. They do sand sculptures and or um, paintings, I should say, with colored sand on the ground, and they do fantastic uh, murals, which are called mandala. And mandala is is actually. Uh, a, a depiction of the universe as it is intact and whole and interdependent. So coming back to relationships, um, this conversation this morning uh, was about how we really project our fear, our fear aggression onto the other. And I want to uh, refer to a book that was really quite a, a powerful influence on me when it came out oh, probably 30 years ago now maybe 25, 30 years ago. And it's by the one of the founders of Ms. Magazine and a notorious uh, feminist activist from the 60s. His name is Robin Morgan. And the book is called The Demon Lover, The Roots of Terrorism. And, the, and in this book, it was sort of the first ever feminist analysis in, in terms of um, gender identity and the uh, gender motivation of urban guerrilla movements. And so without getting too deep into that aspect of the book, she's looking at aggression, essentially. And her, her thesis is that, you know, the, the very masculinized um, urban guerrilla movements that took off in the 60s and 70s um, were, uh, lead us to a breakdown of um, the motivating factors and the underlying um, principle there um, that she she sets up as this dichotomy between another Greek word, which is thanatos versus eros. And thanatos is about male violence. Thanatos is about 
death, the death wish, uh, the, 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 the call to war, the, the romanticization of war. And, and we can see this certainly historically that there's, you know, just such a huge um, cross-cultural uh, proclivity um, and drive towards destruction. And in the book, she, she breaks down Thanatos to, to really understand that um, on a fundamental level, you know, the male psyche in that pronounced destructive way cannot really operate from the principle of life affirmation the way that the female can. This is the dysfunctional expression of male sexuality, of male gender identity. That as not inherently being life bearers, I mean, men are life-giving, certainly, but life-bearers, that um, the destructive aspect, the, the, the violent face of that unresolved uh, conundrum um, creates this kind of um, repellent and this kind of um, rebellious, reactionary um, response which is if I, if I cannot be a life bearer, then I'll be a life destroyer. This is how I claim my power. This is my, uh, this is my entitlement and, and my um, calling. And so you can see this expression in, in all of our literature across cultures, from, you know, Greek literature, you know, there's hero worship and warrior worship, et cetera, et cetera. And um, so I want to relate this to the internal struggle that we all go through, men and, and women, because it's not just a male issue. But there is this kind of inherited and internalized um, thanatos that we all struggle with. And it really is not necessarily about a prevailing uh, psychic kind of model of or archetype of thanatos versus eros. It is, but that that dichotomy still helps us understand that many of us have a fear of living. We have a fear of life of itself. And it leads us to this sort of Thanatos approach. We sabotage our lives. There's a destructive quality to our relationships and to the way we live our lives and our relationship with ourselves. The way we um, you know, don't operate from self-care and we can be kind of reckless with our own life. And even if you look at uh, kind of self-imposed impoverishment and scarcity of your of of your own life that you're not really going for what you want that you're you've kind of imprisoned yourself in conventionality or in um in lack and uh you know certainly the modern uh you know debt economy and debt system enslaves us you know in that sense that we become uh in servitude to the financial system and then that could kind of dominates our life choices so we don't take risk. We don't ask for what we really want. We don't even ask the question. And there is a sort of self-destructive quality to that. And so if we're living with that kind of self-sabotaging, destructive um, operating principle without being conscious of it, then we end up projecting that out into the world and it becomes destructive in our relationships. We don't love ourselves. We're not operating authentically. And therefore, we project that as kind of a victim mentality onto others. And this is what came up in this conversation today vis-a-vis -vis relationships. And so this very, very simple reduction of all that is that when we take a close look at this internal struggle with ego, with the struggle with mortality, 
that we're here for a limited time, what is the meaning of our lives, and we are able to contemplate, to bear witness, and to uh, create a kind of gentle container, what they call a cradle of loving kindness, for that internal struggle. It softens us. It allows us to connect to the fragility of life, to the preciousness of life, and the interdependence, again, of life. And that makes us more oriented towards uh, being understanding, empathetic, and compassionate towards all living things. And this really is the ethos of of um, certainly of Buddhism, but all the great religions are really rooted in the fundamental directive towards uh, loving creation. Whether it's worshipping a deity, it's still founded on the principle of love and appreciation and, and um, worship is really a worship of life itself. Unless you're talking about a death cult or um, you know, a truly Thanatos-oriented cult of destruction. But generally most religions are worshipping truth, the idea of truth and the infinite or the divine. So there's a lot packed into all that um, as I always try and do in the program and um, perhaps that's enough for today. We'll continue the discussion maybe on uh, Tuesday. Um, I've really enjoyed this talk today and uh, if you have any questions, of course, you can always get a hold of me uh, through the links, uh, through Twitter, through our Facebook page and uh, I I would uh, be very happy to engage you on the subject and in fact, uh, you know, you're welcome to call into the program as well. So I hope that this is a, a springboard, as always, to explore these topics and to go about your life today and really look at how much you're open to life. We tend to wonder, you know, want to see what life has to offer us, but how open are you to life? How present and how fully engaged are you with the juiciness, with the... With the um, robustness with the uh, uh, the sensuality of life itself. And that's really what uh, the erotic relationship is to, to, is to the, the sexiness of the world. And again, not in a sexual act kind of way, but in an embracing um, sensual interactive kind of way. Well, thanks very much. My name is Michael Gordon. This has been The Wine Whisperer. Be well, and we'll see you and talk to you next time.